It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network. Your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. This is the Leaf Sky Podcast. Here's your host, Jim Taddy. Hi, everybody. Thank you, Mike Ross, for that fine introduction. Welcome to Leaf Sky, Episode 25, Season 2. Jim Taddy with you for the next half hour or so. Gus Katsaros from McKean's Hockey and NBC Sports Edge is our guest. Plenty to talk about with the Leafs responding to a loss last Saturday in Montreal with three straight victories. Before we get there, let's consider this tidbit of information. The NHL season has been packed with dangles, hat tricks, and big wins. And as the action rolls on, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, has your shot to win big two. New customers can bet just $1 on any team and get $150 in free bets if they win. That's right. A bump in the win column for your team means free bets for you. If Sportsbook isn't available in your area, no worries. You still have a shot to light the lamp. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Hockey Contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Ladies and gentlemen, here's the call to action. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code THPN. Bet just $1 for any NHL team and get $150 in free bets if they win. The promo code is THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Restrictions supply. See DraftKings.com for complete details. All right, let's get to the hockey story. And so last Saturday night, the Leafs go into Montreal and lose 4-2, out shooting the Habs but giving up glorious opportunities and the Habs prevailing yet again over the Leafs on home ice. Following night, not too optimistic. Florida comes into Scotiabank Arena in Toronto, but the Leafs win 5-2. Then Tuesday on to Boston, which is just kryptonite for the Leafs, but the Leafs have a 6-1 lead, hang on to win 6-4. And Thursday night at home to Winnipeg, the Leafs go down 2-0, but win the game 7-3. There is some firepower in this hockey team, no question about it. Austin Matthews, congratulations to him. 50 goals, it was an empty netter, but who cares? 50 goals, this guy is a legitimate Rocket Richard trophy-winning candidate every year, and he has just added layers to his game. We want to see where this goes in the playoffs. So, Set back in Montreal, but three straight wins. And then there's the goaltending issue. Peter Morasic goes out with a groin problem and maybe done for the season, at least out six weeks. So you're looking at a playoff return. Jack Campbell working his way back. We'll see what that means. Eric Schalgren carrying the load. And it's just a bad timing on this, I guess, is the best way to say it. Here is our conversation with Gus Katsaros from McKean's Hockey and NBC Sports Edge. <laughs> All right, Gus. So let's go back to last Saturday. Disaster in Montreal yet again, followed by a win the next night against Florida, followed by a rare win in Boston, followed by 
a win against Winnipeg. Those three games in response to Montreal are somewhat impressive. What's your take on what you've seen there? It's kind of interesting, though. Eh? We always talk about the Leafs kind of playing up or down to their opponent. And, I mean, we had two prime examples here. They lose against Jersey. Uh, sorry, they're not as competitive against Jersey and Montreal. They outright lose a game against Montreal where they really should have been um, much, much better. Yeah. Um, and then they come out against Florida and they come out with one of their better performances. Boston, I think, I know that they're getting a lot of praise for Boston, but when you're up 6-1 and you let your foot off the gas, that is the reason why Toronto lost the second first-round playoff exit against the Bruins. They were up 3-2, they took their foot off the gas, and they lost that series. So, fine, they played well. They really outperformed the Bruins, at least for the first two periods. Give them 10 minutes of the third as well. But you, the learning lesson, the lesson in that is do not let your foot off the gas or else you're going to get bitten again. Yeah, they keep going back to that. And, I, I, you know, it's it's a tough situation. You have 6-1 in Boston. Uh, a, there's a natural uh, sort of step off the gas. But I, but I totally agree with what you're saying. Uh, and, it, and it's, you know... The, the game in Montreal, they played well enough to win. They just, I think we're talking about the same thing here. You take your foot off the gas. The Montreal game, if you go back to it, they had all the shots, all the scoring opportunities, but it's what they gave Montreal. And, you know, Montreal didn't have a lot of shots, what, 18? And, and probably five or six really good scoring chances. So so that's the issue is is cutting down on, on the gift giving, right? You know, it's kind of interesting. I felt the Montreal game uh, showed us two things. One, um, if Toronto really wants, they will conform to the opposing coaches' systems. That's what happened on Saturday night. Yeah, they outshot Montreal, and that was all fine and good. But it's not like they were generating a lot of quality scoring chances. Um, there was a lot of outside shots. There was a lot of shots that were made with uh, the intent of something else happening, so an event preceding an event. Um, and Montreal comes out, and they kind of get a couple of really um, – I'm going to say easy chances where they capitalize. It's 1-1 going all the way into the third period um, until, oh no, wait a minute. I think I'm thinking about a different game. Um, yeah. But what, they were 2-2 going into the third period. Once they get that third goal, once Montreal gets that third goal, Toronto all of a sudden lifts up their game. The way that they should have been playing for the first two periods, um, they all of a sudden show up, let's say, in the last 10 minutes of the third. So that's all fine and good, and then you start generating better scoring chances, et cetera, et cetera. So it's almost as if they need a trigger event, something to show them, hey, we could do better than what we're doing right now. So in the regular season, they can get away with doing stuff like that. You can lose against Jersey and Montreal and make it up in the Floridas and the Bostons, et cetera, et cetera. But when it comes to the playoffs, you can't do that. There's no letting up, and there's no way that you can change your game midway through a game in order to become much more effective. And if they do expect that type of play to bring them good results, then that's an unsustainable model that might get them through the first round, but it's going to get them kicked out of the playoffs right after that. So how many learning lessons, like how many learning moments are you going to get in a season before you finally recognize you need to have consistency, you need to play your game and drive that right through your opponents in order to get your maximum efficiencies. Okay, so I just want to go back to the Montreal game, not to harp on it because it is the one loss. Uh, there's three wins that follow it. But I, it's specific to the Nylander situation because the goal that, that he was criticized for was the, the goal that tied it at one. Savard gets the goal, comes in off the point. Nylander's man, coach made no bones about it, that it was his man. But that's like halfway through the second period. Montreal takes a 2-1 lead on a power play goal. Don't know if there's any fault to be assigned there. And Nylander scores on his own power play in the third to tie it at two. Uh, 
and the the game winning the eventual game winning goal happens later in the third. But but I want to go back to this. I mean, uh, you know, obviously the uh, you, you can't really argue with a coach because he's got the feel, he's got all the reference points. But guy misses an assignment on a one one goal early in the second period. I mean, is is that a breaking point? Is is, so is, 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 is that too drastic a reaction? Well, I think what you have there is a buildup of about six weeks worth of complacent work ethic. Yeah. Like it's not like Tavares and, and Nylander were lighting it up for the last six weeks too. They've both struggled both in terms of generating scoring and offensive chances. There's a, there's a time when you see Nylander is on and he cuts right into the middle and he gets into those hard areas. Otherwise he's in the perimeter. Now I don't have a problem with a player playing in the perimeter as long as they're advancing the play to strategic points. And Nylander was doing that prior to, let's say the end of December. And he wasn't doing that after the end of December. So that one play in Montreal is the culmination of a lot of frustration from coaching staff to the degree that that final play said, okay, that's it. We're done. We need to address this and we need to address it right now. Yesterday against the Jets, I thought in the first period, Nylander was providing the same type of play. And you could see that it changed once he scored on the power play. Something else started to click. He gets his second goal. Now, all of a sudden, there's a chance of a hat trick. So you could see that kind of motivation. Um, so what is motivating William Nylander? Is it personal play? Is it personal play in response to a specific um, group dynamic, meaning that they need to win games, et cetera, et cetera? So the coaching staff, they, they, I, I get that. I get that they kind of blow up on that one moment on Saturday. But that is like way beyond the frustration point that they've proven over the last six weeks. And then they give them the opportunity to kind of redeem himself. He ends up playing on the third line yesterday, and then he kind of gets shuffled up and down afterwards to try to get that third goal. In fact, as a bit of a sidebar, I kind of wondered in the third period if uh, on the four-on-four they ended up playing Matthews with Nylander together, and they both go down in a two-on-nothing. Who was going to score the goal? Was it going to be Matthews for 50, or was it going to be Nylander for the hat trick? And that's kind of a tough situation there too, right? What's yeah, more yeah. rare, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I think it was fine for the coaching staff to call him out on Saturday night simply because of the buildup to that point. Um, but you also have to give him the ability to kind of uh, be the William Nylander that we expect him to be. And I thought that that's what they did in the Winnipeg game. Well, there's no question. The second line was having some struggles. And, and the breaking story is Mikheyev. He looks fabulous, doesn't he? You know, the cool thing about Mikheyev is 30% of the chances to score while he's killing a penalty are for the Leafs. Wow. So he, he's become one of those, um, I, we call it the power kill. So it's trying to generate offense while killing a penalty. So it does two things. One, it keeps the opposition out of the defensive zone, which negates their power play. But imagine getting scored on. So you have four forwards, one defenseman, and Mikheyev, and, and it doesn't really matter who he's partnered with. He has enough speed to take advantage of any kind of transition and turnovers. And he's a killer when it comes down to something like that. And even if he doesn't score, the chaos that ensues after a scoring opportunity kills off more penalty killing time if there's a story to be shown about how effective a player could be while killing a penalty there's a montage of William Micaiah from this particular season yeah he's I mean he's figured out he's grown into his role I mean I, th I think he's a bona fide top six on most teams in this league I don't know how the Leafs re-sign him they're going to they're going to regret losing him if he walks and because somebody else is going to give money and and the right position top six um and he's learned it and i used to laugh on the breakaway and shorthanded he would always shoot it into the goalie's pads now he just cut he, i mean you can't stop that cut to the net 
There's, there's no way you could stop a guy that size at that speed cutting to the net, and he uses his reach to go around the goalie and tuck it in. That, that is an unstoppable play. Jim, that was my signature ball hockey move, so I must have thought him <laughs> something along the way. But that's exactly it, though. You have a speedy guy with a really big, long reach, and he can kind of reach around the goaltender. So it's just a matter of beating that last defender. So we should actually kind of pinpoint that, too, though. All the success that McKayev has had is also part of a really inflated shooting percentage. So he's getting his opportunities and he's capitalizing it. Is he really sus- going to sustain this type of play throughout his next contract? I- I'm kind of weary about that. So last year you had McKayev kind of questionable. Uh, will we keep him? Will we do it? Like, what do we do with him? Um, he's just kind of like a filler in the in, in the roster. This year he's like the equivalent of the third line player for Tampa Bay Lightning last year, where they come out and they start scoring more so rather than being more of a checker. Um, so that in itself is a plus going into the playoffs. Yes. The Leafs power play, which was a disaster last year is another plus going into the playoffs. Their power play, the way that it stands now is almost like adding another scorer at the trade deadline because they just couldn't do that last year. And it showed. And Montreal really took advantage of that. So yes. they've, they're dynamic at five on five. They're dynamic on the power play. They now have a scoring capability on the penalty kill. How do you stop a team with that much scoring attribution? So that becomes the problem that the Florida's, the Boston's, the Tampa Bay's, they're going to have to kind of deal with. The lucky part of their competition is the fact that the Leafs goaltending is just so pillow soft. Oh. That if it falls apart, it doesn't matter how well they do up front. Um, it's just a disaster waiting to happen. This is where you feel bad. And I've called it like an ominous feel. It, it seems that no matter what hole the Leafs plug, another one opens up. And it's it's got it's got bad timing written all over it. I feel bad for the situation because I feel that for the most part, this team is ready to, to advance in the playoffs. But but that goaltending, uh, you know, obviously Morazic uh, just – is gone for the year pretty well on, on an innocent looking play. Uh, and it's been a season long thing. And Jack Campbell with that rib injury, that that's precarious. I mean, I mean, if, if you're concerned about Peter Morazic on a save injury in his groin as, as, and that's what happened, then on a simple play, Jack Campbell could re-injure that rib. And then what do you have? I mean, you've got Shulgren who's, who's serviceable and, and it's a good prospect, but, but boy, does that thin out in a hurry, you know, in the end though, um, and this kind of goes back to what they had to do with the trade deadline. Obviously, they must have looked at some kind of goaltending help. Um, the price to pay and the absolute non-guarantee of a, a of a, a solid, capable goaltender coming back forced them to make a move like bringing in Giordano and, and Blackwell. Blackwell is actually the plus on that trade. He's a phenomenal little player that yeah. you can kind of put him up and down the lineup. He might end up being that new Mikheyev if they lose Mikheyev next season. Yeah. Um, but what that does for Toronto, um, and kind of to your point, Jim, Campbell's injury is is really bad. Morazic's injury is really bad. It doesn't give us any kind of hope. But what if Muzzin can't come back at 100%? Now, all of a sudden, there's still a hole on the defense. Giordano fills that hole. But you can kind of see in spurts where there's players where that speed element just kind of puts them out of play. So while the Toronto... a good example against the Jets on Thursday night. He got turned Absolutely. around. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. there have been lots of those little isolated incidents because obviously a player of his age um, and the way that the NHL speedsters can kind of really move now, it makes that even more blatant. Um, but you have to give Toronto the, the the credit for building their defense to a degree where it's actually quite effective. The forwards coming back when they're 
in sync, they're good. When they're not in sync, it becomes a disaster. Um, but it starts in the crease. So if they have the instability in the crease, they have an inst unstable Jake Muzzin who doesn't necessarily perform the way that Muzzin is able to perform. It ruins the dynamic of improving the defense to help out bad goaltending or potentially bad goaltending. So now the Leafs have to score more in order to kind of outscore their problems. And, and this is kind of like a revolving issue that they continue to have. And if they can't outscore their problems, it doesn't matter how much better they've become defensively and, and who's in and who's out of the lineup. You can't win 6-5 every single game. You could do it every once in a while, and you can really lean on your stars to provide scoring. But they're not going to be able to do that as the games tighten up, things get a little bit more difficult. Video is much more pervasive, and it's much more insightful for coaching staff going through the playoffs. It's a it's a very difficult thing to try to predict where Toronto will end up based on all of the unknown factors that they can't attribute any type of validation for. It's it's a, it's a complete wild card for me. I mean, the goaltending, you just you sort of look at it and go, it does have a, a, it's like disaster written all over it because of the precarious nature of, of Jack Campbell's health and, and Morazic's gone for at least six weeks. And, and I mean, he's, it's a revisit to the injury that started the year. And Shogren has shown some promise and, and maybe, maybe you find lightning in the bottle, but it's, it's a lot of, a, it's too bad. It's a big question mark. And I don't know what the answer would have been. Harry Sateri, I don't think was the answer. Um, and, you know, I, uh, maybe, maybe flurry. If, if, if that trade could have happened, it would have cost a lot, but, and, and you know, for those that argue about the cost, I mean, Think of the cost of having a team that's ready to advance. You don't have a goalie. That That's a pretty steep cost, too. You know, the, the other thing on that, though, Jim, is um, we don't see any more Patrick Waz and Mar Martin Brodeurs. Those goaltenders don't exist anymore. If you have to make a guess as to how many goaltenders you can honestly just typically rely on, it's less than a handful in today's NHL. So I think that goaltending, especially from the analysis done from a long period of time, if you get average or better goaltending, you can outscore your problems. You can play adequate enough defense to be competitive enough to win the cup. So now the question is, can the Leafs get just average goaltending? They don't need to be killers. They don't need to have the next Patrick Waugh. But can they reliably provide average or better goaltending? If that's what management has based their assessments on, um, then injuries and whether or not Campbell can bounce back from his disastrous play uh, from the beginning of December, that's kind of what the Leafs are going to live and die on here. They've proven that they can play well defensively. They can tighten it up when it comes to playing with, against better teams. That unknown factor of getting less than average goaltending is is kind of like the elephant in the room. Yeah, I'm going to go back to a couple of points that you made earlier. First of all, the, the Muzzin situation is a little scary because he had the back-to-back -back concussions a month apart. And, you know, I mean, this is not uh, an easy time of the year to play hockey. You're going to get hit. So, you, you know, you, you're worried about his uh, long-term health, and I'm sure they, everybody's there to look after that. But, you know, I, if they couldn't go, if they had to go without him, it wouldn't bother me that much. I, I think it'd be a nice add. Uh, but I think Labushkin's health is, is the key. I mean, uh, and I don't know how high up, I don't know if you keep playing him with Morgan Riley, but, but he is at, more than advertised, in my opinion. Yeah, he's added a, a gritty... Um, 
there's no such thing as a stay-at-home defenseman anymore, but he adds that kind of an element. Um, so we could just call it defensive responsibility. So he adds right. a responsible part um, up and down the lineup. And you could kind of say that for Timothy Lilligren. I mean, yeah, there are some times where he still shows some of his rookie um, kind of connotations. But for the most part, I think he's been phenomenal and, and, and dynamic enough to to go into the playoffs with. You may not necessarily want him on one of the first two pairings, but he is capable of playing there. Um, the Muzzin factor, I think, is really difficult because even last two playoffs, he's been hurt. So while he can kind of work his way through that, um, he hasn't played very well throughout this entire season. Justin Hall hasn't really helped him in that regards, too. Um, and I remember the excuse last year was, well, when, when Hall struggled, Muzzin stepped up. Well, if Muzzin's, Muzzin's job isn't to help a struggling Justin Hall, it's to help the Toronto Maple Leafs. So if he can't go 100%, and he even a, a less effective Muzzin is a good Muzzin, um, but if you take him out of the lineup, I, I'm actually having a lot of concerns because there's no way that you can replace that kind of a skill set and expect to play the same way defensively all the way throughout an entire playoff series, um, let alone win a Stanley Cup. So I, I think Muzzin being in and out of the lineup um, is a key problem for Toronto. Yeah, admitted. Uh, I admit that with Muzzin in, they're much better. There's no question about that. I think they've shown that without him, uh, if everybody else is healthy, there's some movable parts there. And Giordano's a nice add, certainly in a five-six pairing. That that's really good to have. He's just got some some expertise out there that you don't normally get. Uh, let's focus on the fifty-goal man, Austin Matthews, who just uh, I I just find that I think it was described on the, the TSN broadcast last night that that he he now he's added a physicality to his goal score. I think that was Dave Poulin who said that. Totally agree. This is a guy that I mean, when you look at him, even on the bench, it's like do not get this guy going he'll bury you i mean he has that ability doesn't he you know one of the really non uh heightened um attributes that matthews has is his play along the boards so don't worry about the goal scoring because we all know what kind of a talent and the skills we don't need to go over that but watch him when he's engaged along the boards and he has the puck if he has the puck he comes out of it with the puck if he doesn't have the puck, he comes out of it with the puck. So that physical element has kind of grown over the last couple of seasons. Um, and the focus is not about the physicality. The focus is about getting that puck back. Because just like Ovechkin goes into a corner to smash the opponent, to come out of the, the corner, to take a shot on goal, because that's what a goal scorer does. Matthews has a very similar mentality, although he does it in a bit of a different way. So the physicality that Poulin is pointing out has been building over the last two seasons. We talk a lot about, and I have a theory on this, um, you have players, star players that don't really attract a lot of penalties. He doesn't get a lot of penalties called on him. Well, right. let, let's put that into perspective. If the puck is on his stick in the offensive zone, he's either skating too fast to be caught and somebody has to drag him down, but you can't do that if he's if he's too fast. The physicality also is about being planted. It's also about his body position, his strength that he uh, kind of, with his skating stride and the way that he kind of positions himself, so he's hard to knock off. When he has the puck in the corners, again, it's not like there's a lot of rough stuff. He comes out of it with the puck, and then, again, we're going back to offense. Or the other alternative is the puck gets to a stick and it's off his blade so fast, nobody has a chance to engage him. So you can't call a penalty on something that where the player doesn't get a puck. 
So I think that Matthews really provides a, a, a physical element that's been building, um, but the focus still remains on scoring goals. It's not about being more physical. That's just the secondary attribute that really builds on the elite goal scoring capabilities that he's shown. We don't see that kind of play coming through a William Nylander or, or even a John Tavares in his days. Um, Mitch Marner obviously doesn't need to necessarily play that way. But it's interesting to see that a star player that can potentially score 60 goals, at least 50 on a regular basis, um, yeah. uses that strength to strengthen the offensive attributes that make him just that successful. Well, he's kind of like McKayev in that he's figuring out how he can use what he has, its physicality, to create space for himself, which is the key for any any great hockey player. The power play, you know, you talked about it earlier. Uh, can you imagine what it'd be firing at if, if they were able to draw penalties? I mean, that's uh, outside of bunting. I mean, I, I don't know who else draws penalties in this team. That's actually a little bit of a problem, I think, for Toronto in general. Uh, I, I, you know, I've kind of shaken my head a few times as to how can that not be called or like what's going on here. If Toronto gets just two or three more opportunities per game, or at least get to the level where they're calling penalties consistently, those two or three penalties can yield a goal, if not more. And that is a killer factor going into the playoffs. You know, the, the, a good power play. And the, the difference between the power play from last year was the predictability. They did the same thing over and over and over and over and over. Teams yeah. knew how to play them in the zone entry. They knew where to stand in the uh, when they were set up in the zone. It was just too easy to play against. This year, they've changed everything up. Matthews moves around. Marner moves around. They have different plays for different situations. It's also almost as if they have different plays for the different type of players that are on the ice from the opposition. Um, so that power play itself has gotten so much better as to why I say it's almost like adding another scorer at the trade deadline. It just makes them that much more lethal. Probably wouldn't happen, but could you ever see a day where the line is Marner, Matthews, and Mikheyev? That's an interesting premise, isn't it? <sighs> So that would have worked if they required a player that wasn't up to Bunting's skill level. So I think Bunting put himself in that position, so it's his position to lose. Absolutely. Um, now, with Mikheyev's, you know, in the playoffs, we might end up seeing something like that. If they have to yeah. do some line shuffling, there's no – I would try it. You know, uh, you got to do something. Two big guys there that could create their own space. And you have a dynamic – um, playmaker and Mitch Marner that can kind of find both. But, you know, the other thing, too, though, is Mikheyev's advantage is his speed and that reach. So, yeah, yeah he's good physical, he's good physically and, and, and all that stuff, but he's not Zach Hyman. So the it's a bit of a different dynamic that he would bring to that line. Um, yeah. uh, through the rush, they would be killer and they would be very difficult to stop. Um, now, having said all that, Mikheyev doesn't look like he's going to end up being back in Toronto if he continues this type of play. There'll be lots of interest in him. Oh, yeah, there'll so, be big money there in long term. So I, I mean, like your style, but I'm not really <laughs> sure we're going to see it. I just thought, you know, just you know, sometimes in a, in a close matchup when you need somebody to sort of blow some space open, those two guys certainly could. You got Marner to feed them off the rush. So, I mean, is that improved for them? Um. I'm going to say the fact that they do not heavily rely on rushing scoring chances has been a plus for Toronto. They're able to get a lot more offensive zone time and generate scoring chances that way. It's defensively though, the other team. 
So defensively coming back the other way, they have improved. They're better as, as far as like defending the blue line. Um, and I think that this, this is pretty much applicable for the last couple of seasons. They have been better that way. Um, what I fear though, is when they don't step up on the blue line and then really do take care of the rush, they really lose um, sense of where they are in their zone. They've gotten much better again over the last couple of seasons. Um, but the primary ability of stopping players before they enter the zone, so trying to kill off those rush plays, um, is a key point to making them that much better defensively. So in order for them to actually do that, though, they need to be much more defensively responsible with some of their offensive players. And some of those forwards need to come back. And even if they're not um, necessarily, like if it's a two-on-one with some back-checking, that's improved. And that in itself has helped Toronto forcing uh, their defensive play on the rush. Um, so I think that, and it kind of goes back to what I was saying for, uh, before, if they're in sync, the forwards and defensemen are in sync, they have good proper coverage in every area of the game. If they're not in sync, then we see a lot of odd man rushes. We see a lot of in zone chaos um, and we see a lot of Toronto, similar to what happened with Montreal last year, where they just give up the zone and just try to defend, which really isn't productive. It's, it's, it's more of, okay, we'll wait and see. And then hopefully we can transition out. That's not happened a lot more this year. Um, but it's something that they really need to be fully aware of. That sync between the forwards and the defensemen is key. Last minute of play in this podcast. Well, there's a time warning from Mike Ross. Thank you very much. Time now for Lickety Split. Yes, guy, no guy on the way out. Yes, guy, no guy, number one. A healthy Leaf Blue Line is more than enough. Oh, yes, guy. As you heard in our conversation with Gus, I mean, Jake Muzzin is expected back, but even if he doesn't come back, if everybody else is healthy, I like the parts there. They're very interchangeable and adjustable, and that's good flexibility on a blue line, and it is deep. Muzzin would be the icing on the cake. Yes guy, no guy number two. Austin Matthews will lead the way in the playoffs. Oh, this is an emphatic yes guy. This is a guy who's reaching his full potential, growing into his body, using the physical attributes to create space. Nobody ever complained about the shot. It's uh, really heavy and fast. And so this guy is is blossoming right in front of our eyes. Yes guy, no guy number three. Least forward unit, good enough. Yes guy, it is deep, it's flexible, everything you want in a forward unit. And the emergence of Ilya Mikheyev is stunning. So an emphatic yes guy to that. Yes guy, no guy number four. Goaltending still causes you to cringe. Uh, so far, guy, I don't know what to make of this. I just don't like the timing of it. One guy goes out, another guy gets hurt. It's just uh, so far, guy. Let's let's end on that. So far, guy. I think that sums it up. And our final yes guy, no guy, wins over Florida, Boston, and Winnipeg. Restore the roar. Oh, yes, guy. Absolutely. That's a nice answer back. Each one of those is a nice answer back. But to have three of them is a great way to sort of head into the weekend. Thanks for stopping by. I hope you enjoyed episode 25 of Leaf Sky. I hope you come back next week for episode 26.